Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy friends and neighbors and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Today I'm going to talk about the fine art of stage patter and emceeing your show. Introducing songs. What I'm going to talk about is all the talking that goes on on stage. And you know, if, you, if you're the kind of person who listens to a lot of recorded music on albums, you don't hear a lot of talk. You know, I could play 10 Flat & Scruggs records, and if they were studio records, I would never hear them talk. And so you don't learn how it's done. But if you go to live shows, if you go to clubs, if you go to festivals, you hear a lot of it. Or if you listen to, you know, live albums, and I apologize for my squeaky chair. I've switched, switched to a stool, and it squeaks just as much as the old chair. Anyway, the art of talking on stage is sometimes frowned on by people in the audience. I have heard people at bluegrass festivals in the audience, you know, I'd be hanging around the festival grounds and hear somebody belly aching about more clatter and less chatter. You know, they're, they're complaining that, you know, they're wasting too much time talking, telling stories, telling jokes, telling inside jokes, and, and truly it does happen. But I think the, the reason some fans frown on too much talking is because they haven't heard good quality talking. If, if you, you know, how else could someone give a good speech where it's nothing but talk? You can hold people's interest with, with talk. Obviously, when people come to music shows, it's about the music, but it's not only about the music. It's also about the experience they, they have with you. And so some verbal communication in between the songs, uh, thanking the audience, introducing the song, is a very human-like thing that you should do. If, if you just walk out on stage, like I did a magic show one time in high school where I did not speak. I simply came out and to music I performed. It's sort of weird. It's isolating from the audience. So a little bit of talking, because you're talking to them, you know, is just a part of the bluegrass thing. But you don't hear it on a lot of records because they're studio records and, you know, it's not a show. But I want you to think about it no matter what level of a player you are, sooner or later you're going to have an opportunity to talk to the audience in between songs. And it it could simply be at a jam session. I've done this many times just because I knew no one else in the circle would do it. The jam is jamming and at the end of the song it stops and three people over in the corner clap and I would turn to them and say, you know, tip my hat to them and say, thank you, thank you very much, we appreciate you being here. You know, that's what I'm talking about. It's interacting verbally with the audience and the other people, you know, weren't going to do that. But, you know, having spent a lot of time on stage, I, I look at every opportunity as, as, or every playing opportunity as a potential, you know, chance to ham it up with, with the audience. 
Anyway, I did a gig one time on bass, filling in. And, you know, they didn't have a bass player that day. And they called me. And I, I'm just telling you this as an example of the wrong way to go about it. We played the entire show. I should say they played their entire show and I played with them without once talking to the audience. They did speak mumble among themselves a little bit. It was like they were afraid of the audience. Maybe they were. I, I don't know because I was just filling in. You know, I was just, I didn't. You know, I was just there to play the bass. And, but it was weird because they didn't introduce the songs. They didn't, there was no stage patter at all. And then the strangest thing of all was after their final song, one of the members who was like the, you know, the guitar player and the main lead singer, after they finished the song, he very quickly started rattling off the names of the members of the band and, and so on. And it was over. They didn't play anymore, and that was it. It was, you know, there were folks actually walking out while he was saying, and, and on banjo we have Billy Bob, whatever, you know. It, what I'm saying is, some folks, some people, are better at emceeing than others. Um, and anybody can become better at it. Just like if you're a banjo player, you can become a better banjo player. Uh, but there are some people who are naturally sort of gregarious and they like to talk to people and they will naturally be better at it. They, even they can, you know, polish their act a little bit uh, because sometimes people tend to drone on too long. I, I would be probably guilty of that at times. And some people just don't want to say nothing. They're just there to pick, and they don't want to talk. Well, if you've got five people like that in your band, ooh, that's going to be a, a real downer to watch you people play, you know? Uh, so you have to look among yourselves and find, you know, who are the likely candidates who, who actually enjoy stepping up to the microphone and looking at the audience and saying a few words of introduction to a song. Uh, you know, some people are just better at it than others. I went to see J.D. Crow in the New South one time at a beer joint. It was a pickup gig they had. I talked about it in one of the, one of the episodes way back. Um, anyway, J.D. never said a single word over the microphone. He sang over the microphone. But there he is, the band leader. I mean, the band is his band. It's J.D. Crow in the New South. But J.D. didn't MC. He knew he wasn't for his personality. He just didn't want to do it. And so he, that was always assigned to someone else. He was the band leader, but he was not the MC. And that's okay. It, you, you can do what J.D. does and how he does it. And... The, the thing I want to stress to you is somebody needs to do it. Somebody needs to take the bull by the horns. And if you don't know how to do it, listen to some of the greats. And you're not going to have to go to a lot of trouble to do that because that's what I'm going to present to you today in this episode. I'm going to play you a bunch of examples of stage patter, song introductions, etc., 
And by the way, for you lawyers in the audience, or <laughs> I am claiming fair use for playing these little clips for educational purposes and for commentary. And to you, the listener, I suggest that you seek out these recordings. Some of these things, uh, live records are really good, and, and I'm pulling these little intros from some really good records. So if I mention one and you're, you're kind of curious about the song that followed the intro, I'm, I'm going to play you the intro. I'm not playing you the song. Um, you know, go get this stuff. Buy it. Support the bluegrass community. Buy the records. Don't just do it all on YouTube. I've talked about that before. But let's begin with an example. Oh, but before I do that, I forgot to mention something. I, I rarely work from such a detailed set of notes. This, I'm on my second day of working on this little project. Sometimes I think up a podcast episode that's just way too complicated. So I spent a bunch of time already searching for good examples and making the clips that you're going to hear. And I wrote many pages of notes uh, so I could keep track of what I'm doing because I'm going to have to later edit all this stuff. This could well be the most time-consuming and complex episode I've ever created. So I hope you appreciate it. <laughs> And I hope you support the show. By the way, I'm going to skip. I told you in the last episode that I'm going to sponsor. I'm going to have a product, and I'm going to mention a product in each episode. I'm going to skip that because I know this one's going to get long. Let me just say, if you want to support the show and these crazy efforts that I'm doing to try to bring this sort of information and thought-provoking uh, commentary to you... Um, you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash Bradley Laird and signing up, signing up for a little, you know, some kind of monthly contribution. You can do that. Or you can go, you can go over to bradleylaird.com, stroll around the site. You will find the things that I sell, the PDF ebooks and courses and video lessons and all that, and make a little purchase. You can do that, and that'll be supporting the show, too. Okay, so let's begin with the man. This is, this is the guy when it comes to emceeing a bluegrass show, Lester Flat, And here he is with his usual very smooth, friendly, professional, yet kind of homespun approach. Here's Lester Flat. But right now, here's Uncle Josh and his hot rod guitar along with Earl and all the boys with some fast picking on the uh, new tune called Foggy Mountain Rock. Josh? <laughs> I love that. In fact, I love it so much that I lined up two of them. Let's listen to Lester do another little intro. Thank you. Thank you so much. And a special great big howdy to you. Let us say it's a real pleasure to be up this way to take a part in the festival. Certainly hope that you might enjoy some country tunes that we have lined out for you. We're going to we'll kind of tell you who the fellows are as they come up to take their part in the program. We're going to call on Earl Scruggs now with the old five string. The lumber called the Foggy Mountain Chimes, huh? Humor, jokes, little one-liners and things like that often play a role 
in winning over an audience if if you can do it if you can do it well nothing worse than a than a bad joke i mean corny is okay there is a place for corny but just dead jokes that aren't funny uh that doesn't work but if you can deliver a little humor in your patter even if it's very sparing you know just once in a while just one little quip can show your humanity to the audience and they get you know makes them feel better everybody likes a little giggle or a laugh you know but it, it needs to be sincere and it needs to not be you know an embarrassing laugh type of thing but anyway listen to this at the end of this song earl broke a string and so listen to how lester flat handles that at the end he, he sees that as an opportunity for a good joke. Thank you. Thank you very much. Earl Scruggs broke a wire there. I remember telling him back in 1948, I didn't think that string was going to last much longer, but it did a pretty good job. This is probably the worst sentence I've ever written. I wrote, humor is a funny thing. You know, funny thing about humor. <laughs> anyway, humor, some folks can do it and some folks can't. Some people are just not funny, you know, and some people are funny and don't know they're funny. Here's a guy, I'm gonna play you a guy now, who is not usually associated with humor. And I'm talking about the great Ralph Stanley. You more likely associate him with songs about death and dying and, you know. <laughs> you don't think of Ralph as a comedian, you know. Ralph Stanley the comedian is not generally my first thought. But listen to Ralph introduce his fiddler. Especially pay attention to his timing. I'm blown away by how good Ralph Stanley's timing is, not on his playing, but in his speaking. He knows exactly when to shut up and let the audience taper off. In other words, he knows when they're gonna clap and he doesn't talk over that. He knows it's coming he says his thing, they clap, and as the audience settles down, just at the perfect moment, he speaks again. His timing is like better than, better than any comedian you ever saw on The Tonight Show back in the 60s or 70s. Ralph Stanley's timing, Ralph Stanley's timing is amazingly great. Check it out, here he is. Now let's see, I guess it's time to do some old time fiddling now. Over there, we're gonna call on the gentleman over there to do that. I think he can take care of it. He, I'm real proud of him. You know, just a year ago, they had a big fiddling contest in Seattle, Washington. The best in the world. And I'm proud to tell you folks here tonight, this fella right over there took first prize. He took it, but they made him put it back. <laughs> From the hills of West Virginia, make welcome James Price. Now that's funny. That's funny. And to me, I think it's mostly in the timing. You'll notice that Ralph used that intro to introduce one member of his band. And, you know, that's a good way to do your band member introductions. 
is to have it pre-planned within the set that when we do this song that features the fiddle player, that's when I introduce the fiddle player and say, you know, here is uh, Mike Estes from Covington, Georgia. And you talk a little bit about him. You give him, you know, a little more spotlight and you, you introduce the audience to him or her. If you try to do that with the whole band all at once, some of it doesn't seem to make any sense. I mean, you can just go down the line, you know, well, you know, in between song three and four, I'm going to tell the audience who all these people are up here. You can do that, but I don't think it's as meaningful as if you wait for the right opportunity when that person is somehow featured or involved. I mean, maybe your bass player is just back there playing bass. Well, there's a time when you can acknowledge him or her in within the show and just only him. You know, you follow me? So in other words, you can space out your band member introductions or mentions throughout the show. And I think that's a good way to do it. You know, Bill Monroe would, would uh, get to a certain part, part of the show and he'd he just run down the list real quick of, you know, left to right, who's there and what state they're from. And you can do that too. Uh, you have to be careful that it doesn't get too long-winded. You don't want to eat up too much time doing that. But I uh, just thought I'd mention that. I like the method of having a good reason to talk about your mandolin player because you're just about to do a mandolin tune and you're going to feature the person. So you introduce everybody, hey, this is so-and-so, and now let's see him do his thing. And it just... I think it sticks with people better. But anyway, back on humor, you know, from, from one who has told 10,000 groaners bombs, jokes that didn't work, and yet I've had some pretty good zingers too over the years, Here, here's what I've learned about humor. That, at least in my experience, all these little jokes and the humor always happen spontaneously. They just popped into my head or somebody else's head in the band. It was just a spur-of-the-moment thought. Something funny suddenly popped into your mind and you did it or said it. And the key thing to remember here is that if one of those things bombs, you change it. Don't keep doing it. I mean, you know, uh, you change it or maybe attempt it, you know, think about it later and say, maybe change your delivery or your timing or who said it, maybe turn it into a two-person routine or just ditch it and never, never go there again. That could probably be the simplest way. But sometimes little things pop up and you say something and you get a chuckle. You need to think about that and keep it, possibly improve on it. They do get better and better over time. I can say absolutely that Cedar Hill's act was got really good, and it was because of this method I'm talking about. Things that worked, stayed. Things that didn't work, went. And over time, we got better and better at delivering this. I mean, if you perform Shakespeare you know, 200 nights a year, you'd get better at delivering your lines. Well, you can get better at delivering jokes. 
and I don't mean necessarily jokes, like I'm going to tell a story and it's a joke, ha ha. I'm talking about, you know, the little one-liners, the little quips, the little chuckle lines and things like that. You can get better at it. Now, maybe some people never can get better at it because, you know, there are people that don't have a funny bone in their body, but there are other people that are, you know, a regular laugh riot, as they say, but... Remember that your audience didn't come to a comedy show. They came to see the band play. So if you're one of those jokesters, you know, try to maybe tone it down a little bit. But jokes are, are interesting. I, I almost said it again. Jokes are funny because they have to be tailored to the audience and to the place you're playing. Here... I'm going to play you an example of what I call bar patter. Patter being talk. Uh, when I was studying magic as a kid, you know, patter was what you say while you do the trick. You know, it was the script for the trick. Uh, but in bars, the club scene, you know, it's 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 looser. It's more ad lib. So here we go. I'm going to play a little. An example of that environment where this is a bluegrass band this is Cedar Hill this is before I joined the band and it, you're going to hear Chip Dunbar who's their mandolin player this is from 1982 and before I joined the band he left the band and I took his place and even over the typical bar racket that you hear you'll notice that he speaks very clearly and he makes a few good quips, you know. And then you hear Duck Atkins, who's Cedar Hill's banjo player. You hear him come in and join into this thought and continue sort of working the idea. And I have the feeling this is all ad lib. And uh, so anyway, here they are, Cedar Hill playing at the Airport Marriott Lounge probably on a Sunday night in 1982. Oh, no, did you hear what Chip just said? Now we know where Chip's mind's at. Chip said Miami just intercepted the ball and ran it back for an 80-yard touchdown. Can you believe that? Woo! What's, what's the score, Chip? Score is 14 to nothing, and if folks are wondering, how can I possibly know that? Well, see these pier these pillars right here. We hate them as far as sound goes, but gosh, they're great for watching a football game. <laughs> I can see everything right there. Now, I have I have trouble with sevens and threes, but uh, you know I can see most of what's happening. Okay, that's right. Jeff and I have to look over here at this one. This one reflects over to that one over there. It does. Yeah. That's why we appreciate it next week, sir, if you would not sit right there. <laughs> now, that was a good zinger. I mean, you know, to be good at that sort of humor, you have to be very observant, and you got to have a quick mind. So not everybody can or should attempt that sort of thing. Now, whether or not they ever repeated that joke, I have no idea. Knowing Duck, you know, they probably did repeat it, because... <laughs> You know, if you got something that works, you do it. And the beautiful thing about the airport gig was the audience changed because they were travelers. They're flying into Atlanta and they're spending the night and they're gone. So you had the same same room every week, but you had a different audience every week. So you could, you know, recycle your jokes and stuff. 
Usually the purpose of talking within a musical presentation is to simply introduce the next song. And it the talking kind of keeps it, well, it does keep the attention of the audience. In other words, it keeps the show going while capos are going on and off and band members are, you know, taking a sip of water or monkeying around with their tuning or repositioning themselves for the next song. And, and here is Duck again. This is Cedar Hill again. I think this is when I was with him. Um, although I'm not, I'm not certain. I'll, I'll have to listen to it with you. It was, it was yesterday when I made these clips. But anyway, this is Duck again, just doing one of those, what I call a transitional intro. That is, you're coming out of one song, you're going into the other with very little time wasted, and it buys a little time for those little adjustments and, and things that the other band members need to do to get ready for the song. So here's Duck, he's really good at it, doing one of these transitional intros. Thank you very much. Now we'd like to slow it down just a little bit and do a song about old fella, his heart's all broken. He's uncaught him a train, he don't know where, and he don't really care. It's one called Mr. Engineer. <laughs> Here's another guy who's pretty good at that same sort of thing, and he's certainly had a lot of practice. This is your old buddy, Ricky Skaggs, and he's with J.D. Crow. This is from way back. This is from an album. This, this album that I have is from Tawa Records, Tokyo. And all the print on the back of the record is in Japanese, except for the personnel. I can read J.D. Crow, Tony Rice, Ricky Skaggs, Bobby Sloan, Jerry Douglas. And made and printed in Japan. Anyway, I have the Japanese version of Holiday in Japan. J.D. Crow in the New South. And in between these songs, Ricky shows us how to do one of those standard transitional coming off of one song going into another. Here's Ricky Skaggs. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Right now we'll kind of turn JD loose here on a bonjour. Let him pick a little bit for you. Bugle call rag. That's how it's done. Thank the audience. Introduce the song and don't mess around too long. Unless you've you know, got a good reason. Don't just kill time unless you've got a reason. Now keep this in mind. You do not have to be a professional announcer to be the MC. You don't you don't even have to have a good voice. I mean, you know, you can you can be Ralph Stanley and have that sort of speaking voice and MC your own shows. It's it's perfectly good. Be yourself. That's what people want to hear. But just for comparison, let's listen to a couple of what I'd call professional MCs. You know, it, let's say you're playing at a festival, you know, they'll hire an MC and the MC is practiced and, you know, has this booming voice and, you know, great diction and all that sort of thing. You don't have to have that is what I'm saying. But let's listen to a couple of them. This is from an album, uh, Ralph Stanley, live at McCabe's Guitar Shop in, I think it's that in California. I've never been there. But... Uh, you know, my students would bring me these tapes and stuff. I mean, 
I've got so much stuff around here, you know, some CD. I don't even, all it says is Ralph across it. And I play it, and then by context, I have to figure out what in the world is this thing. And they're bringing me this stuff to lessons to say, hey, can you teach me how to play this thing? You know? But anyway, here, this is a very basic professional MC introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to McCabe's Guitar Shop. Will you please give a warm welcome to Ralph Stanley and the Clinch Mountain Boys. And by the way, you should hunt yourself down a copy of that record. Uh, it's, it's really good. Uh, anyway, that was just a very short, direct, professionally done band introduction. You know, the band's about to go on and somebody needs to announce them. And, you know, oftentimes it's the sound man at the club. Uh, that we've that's happened many many times you know playing at the red light cafe and the the freight room and things like that it would be the sound man's job he'd, he'd have a microphone back there and he would do the introduction you know and now here is buddy ashmore and pony express and you know if somebody takes a little pride in that job they try to speak well and speak clearly and and you know with a bit of excitement to get the audience going here's another example and this Again, a student tape. Somebody brought me a tape. You know, like, you know, I don't know if it came off. I guess it was, this one was on a CD. An unmarked CD with some Sharpie writing on it. It's, um, I don't know who the announcer is. I think it's from a television show. And I think it might be Porter Wagoner. I don't know why I think that. And I'm probably wrong. If you, if you listen to this, correct me. It's probably not Porter Wagner. I don't know. That was my first guess. Um, you know, introducing Flatt and Scruggs on the TV show. It could be Flatt and Scruggs' own TV show and their announcer. I don't know because I, I don't have the original. I just have this little intro on tape. So if any of you know who this is, shoot me an email. I'm just curious. But it's a polished radio slash TV MC voice. You don't have to sound like this, but it does sound pretty good, and it's it's part of the bluegrass and certainly country music history. Here we go. This is a pro announcer. Here's Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs, along with all the Foggy Mountain Boys, to sing and play a song of theirs that's mighty popular, Cabin on the Hill. You don't have to have a voice like that. Just be yourself, you know, like I do every time I turn on the mic here. I, I really can't do anything else except be me. And speaking of that, here's a guy just being himself. There's no way this guy could be anyone but himself. This man, that's what he did. No pretenses. He was just him. He is the man, our beloved father figure, Bill Monroe. We have a new number that we've wrote that we would like to do for you here if we're going to do a duet and sing, and we'll just do this one. Pete Rowan on the left-hand side here is our lead singer and uh, guitar man. He's from Boston, Massachusetts. And this number we want to do for you is entitled The Walls of Time. So that was Bill introducing a song and introducing Peter Rowan and 
it brings up a point and I selected this thing. I'm pretty sure this is some live recording from Tex Logan's birthday party thing. And I believe this was mentioned this past week on the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. And I'm always plugging other people's shows. I'll eventually push all of my listeners away. But look it up on iTunes if you're not hip to the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. Go listen. If you're listening to me, you're clearly into bluegrass. Then you also need to be listening to the Walls of Time. They are presenting interviews with the greats of bluegrass. That's perfect. You know, now I know there are other shows that do that. You know, a lot of shows I've even had some of the greats on my show as interviews, but that's not my sole function. It's not my one model for the show is interview, 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 interview. I would grow, go broke traveling around or pull all my hair out from the technical difficulties. But I appreciate these people who are doing those things. Well, you know, Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is another example. He's doing a lot of interviews. They're not all interview shows, but I love the interviews. To hear, you know, the great players, the great performers talk about the business is very enlightening. You can learn a lot from it. Uh, my show is more like, okay, here's a guy a lot like you. And let me tell you, you know, some of the things I have learned because I'm kind of operating you know, on a different level than, you know, say Peter Rowan. But I have played the same stage with Peter Rowan at Merlefest, in fact. Um, anyway, look up The Walls of Time on iTunes. Why I bring this up is because what you just heard, what Bill introducing Peter and the song, they talked in the most recent episode of the Peter Rowan interview on the Walls of Time podcast about that exact moment in time that you just heard the intro to. Peter is sitting there talking about playing, how he was playing the rhythm on that guitar. Um, so what I'm saying is, when you finish listening to this episode, after you go buy some of my products and sign up for Patreon, Go over and scope out the walls of time and listen to the Peter Rowan interview. He's talking about what you just heard. Of course, I didn't play the whole song. This is, you know, fair use for educational purposes only. But that's the moment in time. I believe, I don't know what year that was. I, I want to say maybe 1964. I think Peter Rowan says in that interview, but that's the, that's the tape, and I don't know what student gave it to me. I, I don't know. Anyway, getting back to why we talk on stage. Is an introduction necessary for every song? No. Sometimes, you know, we would plan in the set two songs back to back. Someone would have the job of introducing song A, and we sing it. And then as the applause is dying out, we had an instrumental preloaded, ready to go, 
that we just launched into with no introduction. We didn't always do that. It wasn't, you know, a formula, but that was a technique as it can be powerful. If they begin to expect, okay, talk, play song, applause, talk, play song, applause, talk, play song, applause. And if you break that, it's, it sort of gets their attention again. So it was talk, play song, applause, song, no talk, you know? So that's just a technique and not all songs need to be introduced. Some songs are so obvious. Let's say that song was Orange Blossom Special. You pretty much don't have to tell them what it was or, oh, no, we're going to do a fiddle tune. I mean, it's, clearly it was a fiddle tune. You saw the fiddle player up there. So some things you don't really have to talk much about. Just do it, you know. Um, but sometimes a song needs to be introduced. In other words, it's helpful to the audience's understanding of it. I used to do a song, a song that I wrote called Harvey Johnson, which I don't know if I've ever played on this show. Maybe I'll, I don't have it out. So I'll, I'll perhaps do that in a future episode. But I wrote this song called Harvey Johnson. And if you listen to it, you might think, ah, oh, that's a pretty good bluegrass song. I like that. But if I took 15 seconds before we played it and I told you a couple of things so you pictured, had the right picture in your mind of what in the world I'm singing about, I think the song would mean a lot more. And I'm going to play an example of that it's a different song, but sometimes the idea of a song is a little cryptic and, you know, it's not super obvious what the situation, like, is. And so, anyway, here's my old pick and pal, Buddy Ashmore. This is Buddy Ashmore and Pony Express, probably live at the red light in Atlanta. Anyway, Buddy is here introducing and doing a little bit of explaining before starting the song. And I, I think it makes it more meaningful. So here's Buddy. Listen to this song two or three times, and I, and I, I liked it. Uh, John Starling did it for the Salem scene. And I listened to it two or three times, and then it finally dawned on me after the thing right got down to the last line what he was doing. He was laying there on a couch talking to his psychiatrist. So you'll have to sort of keep that in mind when you, when you listen to how it starts off. He says, uh, well, I was four years old when Daddy started packing. And I stood there by my mama, and she cried. And the next thing that we knew, that old train came passing through, and Daddy got on board, and we ain't seen him no more. Oh, well, I wonder why train made me long home. See what I'm talking about? The, the song, you know, the lines of the song, if you picture a guy laying on a couch at a psychiatrist's office. Then, you know, the song means more. Anyway, I've got a few more examples for you. Here is, this is, this is a, a contrast, you might say. This is a 1965 radio program. And of course, in a radio program, they're done much like live shows, except you don't hear an audience, because the audience is out there in radio land. 
but you know the performers would come in and perform as if they're performing for a live audience just like I'm doing right now I'm pretending my podcast listener is sitting over there in the chair and I'm talking to him so this is a 1965 radio show and the banjo player that you hear is a guy named Jeff Howald and if you go to episode 40 of Grass Talk Radio I interviewed Jeff Howald Jeff is the banjo player way back in 1965 and this was this is a radio show a live radio show well I'm sure they taped it well you know what I'm not sure honestly I don't know if they that clearly they taped it because I have a tape of it but I don't know if they broadcast it live that's what I'm saying anyway the band is the Blue Ridge Travelers and they're they're playing a radio show on WDLR in Ohio and the, the guy doing the emceeing is pretty good it's, certainly his style is classic radio broadcast style so here it is this is um, 1965 Blue Ridge Travelers in a classic radio style all right thanks a whole lot there red mighty fine say you know that's just as good as the time we had up there in Delaware last Wednesday about three days ago we were up there had a good time playing and singing for the people. Boy, don't sing that long, does it? Well, we want to move right on into the next tune here. We're going to send this out special to Ray Mancini and all the people out at the Big Bear store on East Main Street. We're going to get old Ornery Jeff in here with a little bit of the bluegrass breakdown. <laughs> course when he refers to Jeff as ornery Jeff I can confirm that Jeff is in fact quite ornery and you can confirm that yourself by listening to episode 40 of this podcast all right anyway to close this episode let me go over just you know a few little tips and reminders and things about stage patter and MC number one it is a skill worth working on shows are more enjoyable to people if you know the whole presentation is good not just the music the music is a huge part of it but you know what honestly I have watched some bands that I truly enjoyed the show and they didn't play all that great I mean they played they didn't play bad but they but but the show as a whole was good so what I'm saying is stage patter, emceeing, how you pace the show and how you introduce the songs makes the show better if you get better at it and if you work on it. And it's worth working on. That's number one. Number two, humor. Humor is helpful if it's good and in good taste. I had a clip picked out to play and I changed my mind and decided not to play it because I don't want to get busted and get an explicit rating and I had this tape of Cedar Hill playing basically a bar gig and I made a couple of wisecracks that were truly funny they are funny but not appropriate for all all audiences it's not the kind of one-liner you'd you know whip out at a church 
or even at most bluegrass festivals, and certainly not on the radio. But in that situation, I got away with it, and it was funny, and it got a good laugh. Um, maybe I'll do a thing uh, where if, if you email me specifically asking for that, maybe I'll send you send you a link to a secret hideout where I'll put that up. It's not a dirty joke or anything. It was just, you know, one of those kind of walk on the line between good taste and, and you know, questionable taste. But, you know, when everybody's drinking beers and martinis and wine and stuff in a bar at three, I don't know what time it was, one in the morning, it worked. So what I'm saying is humor is helpful. It really is helpful. You don't have to be putting on a comedy act, but, you know, if you can inject a little humor into your show, even just a little, it's helpful. And it makes your show better. It makes people like being around you more. You know, you don't have to be the Marin Buford where it's just a, you know, nonstop from beginning to end. And truly, Marin Buford was a comedy act. Or, you know, like Homer and Jethro, things like that. I mean, you can do that, but a little bit. Even just one or two little chuckles during a show, you know, is, I think, helps the show. Number three, it's important to not talk over each other. And that's why I recommend for beginners at this that you sort of plan who's going to introduce what songs. And we used to, uh, when we were just, you know, planning and launching Pony Express, that was written on the set list. Who did the intro? Who did the talking prior to the song? And it may seem like overkill, but there have been many, many occasions where, you know, someone has spontaneously stepped up to the microphone to say something at the exact moment that I spontaneously stepped up to the microphone to say something. We both kind of go, and nothing, you know, nobody's really communicating because we're both sort of having the same thought at the same time. Delegate your responsibility. Decide who's going to do the talking when. It works a lot better. You don't talk over each other. Also, I should, on that same vein, you shouldn't talk to each other. You know, the audience is out there. Talk to them. Don't stand there and talk to each other, un unless that's part of it, you know. But... I've seen people step up to microphones and then turn towards their banjo player and introduce the song, looking at the banjo player and talking to the banjo player. Look at the audience, talk to the audience. Okay. Um, number four, it's important to speak clearly to the best of your ability. You know, you don't have to be one of those, you know, radio announcer voices, but do maybe slow down a bit. I know I do a better job on this podcast if I'll just slow down a little bit and think about what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. It makes it more understandable. And if they can't understand what you just said, you don't want people going, what did, what did he just say? Slow down. Speak clearly. Number five, don't waste too much time. Nothing worse than hearing somebody go through a beautiful introduction to a song, just building it up, talking about it, and... Uh, you know, now we're going to do um, Little Cabin Home on the Hill. And then 10 seconds of dead silence and you hear the banjo player go, brink, 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 brink. You just killed it. You just killed the show. It should be 
blah 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 little cabin home on the hill and off they go don't waste time okay six it's better for the show i think the flow if you don't have super long intros keep them short and sweet if you're talking for two minutes you're talking too long even if you want to plug the record table and talk about your website and your show schedule and the new band member and so-and-so had a baby and someone left their car lights on split that stuff up spread it out don't get up there giving speeches keep it short keep it sweet seven a little sincerity be friendly you know have a little smile in your mind while you speak to the people it carries over in your voice and their reaction to you don't stand up there with a scowl on your face even if you feel rotten at least be neutral you know but if you're the one speaking uh, when you listen go back back up and listen to lester flat the sound of his voice sounds like it's smiling and ralph stanley sounds like it's smiling Throughout that whole thing about uh, the fiddle player winning first prize or taking first prize, um, because he's thinking, he knows what's coming. He's got the punchline in his mind. He's already thinking about it before he said it. Smile in your mind and you'll go over better. Eight, number eight, it's a good policy to thank everyone. Thank the audience at the end of a song. Thank people for their applause. Thank the promoters. Thank your sponsors. Thank whatever. But split it up. Don't go into one long thank you session that lasts five minutes. Where And I'd like to thank my brother-in-law for loaning me this capo. And I'd like to thank Daddario Strings for introducing this new wound four-string banjo string here. And, you know, thankfulness is important. But split it up, break it up, spread it around. Don't do a thank you sermon. Number nine. Don't forget to plug your record table and your merchandise. And it's wise to do that just before your set ends. Because if you do it too early, they're just going to sit there watching the show. And now maybe you've got someone, well, why they want to get up from your show and go buy a t-shirt, you know? Wait till you're almost done, then plug it, you know? And then you race to the table and try to beat them to the record table. But it's cool to plug your merchandise again don't be too long-winded about it. Number 10, like I always try to do, be yourself and don't take yourself too seriously. Now I'm going to close out this episode with one of the truly professional class acts in bluegrass music. I love this band. We played festivals on the same bill with them. And, you know, we do our set, and I always make a point to go down there and watch them play. This band, always consummate professionals. Good attitude, friendly, just pros, real pros. I'm talking about Jim and Jesse and the Virginia Boys. So if you need a model to copy in style, I'm not talking about their music. I'm talking about what you're about to hear. The attitude, the delivery. You will not do better than Jesse McReynolds. I met Jesse 
one time. Well, I, I bumped into him a few times at festivals, but didn't really chat it up with him or anything. But I met him one time. If you go to my website, bradleylaird.com, and go all the way to the bottom, there's a little secret website, which actually pre-existed much of, well, a good deal of my website. And it says, Ancient Order of the Mandolin. And I really can't tell you about it, because as Jackson would say, if I tell you about it, I'd have to kill you. It's, it's a rather secretive organization, but uh, the Ancient Order of the Mandolin bestowed upon Jesse McReynolds the Hall of Honor um, award. And so uh, several representatives of AOM uh, went uh, to meet Jesse up in Nashville and present him with the framed award. And, you know, we just talked to him and picked a while. We, we actually met up in uh, Ernest Tubbs record shop, standing there right next to the old Ernest Tubb bus that's inside. You know, you know why I'm talking about if you've been up there. Anyway, um, I love Jesse and uh, he's a great, he's just a pro. This is a good way to go out. Let's listen to Jesse Mac Reynolds show you how to MC and introduce a song. And y'all have a great week. Thank you very much. Uh, we're happy to be back with you once again on this part of the program. We hope you'll enjoy another song. We have one we've been around for a long time, one of the old ones that has been recorded by many different people. We hope you like our version of it, one called Alabama. <laughs> 